Michelle Obama said, Just try new things. Don't be afraid. Step out of your comfort zones and soar, alright? This is Save vs. Rant. Welcome to Save vs. Rant, the everyman gaming podcast. I'm John. And I'm Jeremy. And today we are talking about the touchstones of board games. Right now, we are living in a golden age of board games. Gamers are spoiled with high-quality choices of board games. Unfortunately, non-board gamers are affixed with this preconceived notion about what board games actually are. I was explaining to one of my co-workers a while back that every Thursday I have a game night with my friends. Initially, she thought that this meant a video game night because it was the only type of games that she had known adults to play. I explained, no, no, I'm talking about tabletop games, board games, and role-playing games. And she says, oh, so you mean like Monopoly? No, no, I do not mean like Monopoly. I mean modern tabletop games. And I gave some examples and tried to bring her around to understanding. I found that the best way to describe these and to make it clear to non-gamers what I'm referring to is to take games they do recognize and then relate these games to those games. Things like saying, you know, Yahtzee is a dice game, kind of like Machi Koro, things like that. So we've decided to put together a list of games that are touchstones of board gaming, family game night games that are recognizable to nearly everyone, and then talk about modern games that share those themes and ideas. So the first one we're going to talk about is Monopoly. This is more of a category in and of itself. Monopoly is a game where you move the piece around the board, you deal with money, you're dealing with the properties, and almost everyone who thinks about board games thinks about Monopoly. And Monopoly is not a good game. Monopoly is one of the worst games, especially if you don't play it by the official rules, which almost no one does. Even if you play it by the official rules, it's frequently tedious and often really not that enjoyable and generally associated with people getting into fights and having fits over being screwed out of one property or another. But what are the parts of Monopoly that we really like? What are the parts of Monopoly that people really grab onto? It's the money management, and it's the properties. So, our first game that we think is actually Ticket to Ride. Ticket to Ride, of course, being a game where you are trying to create train lines on the board. It has a lot of qualities of Monopoly. You're still managing your resources in the form of the cards that you need to play out to build your train routes. And on top of that, there is a sort of Monopoly mechanic to it where you're trying to acquire routes from one destination to another, making certain pieces of real estate more valuable. Even without that, specific parts of the routes are more valuable because of their length, which gives you a bonus. So ultimately, it has all the themes we're looking for. Money management, property acquisition, and bonuses for specific sets of properties. Now, the game that I always think of when people say, oh, well, I like Monopoly. What other games should I play? I think Lords of Vegas. This is a game made by, once again, James Ernest. And it is everything that Monopoly wishes it could be. It has the property acquisition. It has money management. It has player versus player. It has the dice rolling. It has Press Your Luck, and it has a wonderful scoring track along the edge of the board. It's a pretty game, and I absolutely love it. It is the absolute best game, in my opinion, 
for people who think they like Monopoly. The next game we want to look at is Yahtzee, or really any game wherein you are rolling dice and pressing your luck. Obviously, the most direct analog is going to be direct press-your-luck games like Zombie Dice. Zombie Dice is a game where you select a few dice from a container, roll them, trying to get brains, trying not to get shotgun blasts, and each time you lock in a die, you have to take more dice, or you have to decide if you've got enough points and you're just going to end your turn. But if we're shooting for specific numbers, as we may be in Yahtzee, we might want to talk about Machikoro, which is a city-building game wherein you purchase different properties that synergize off of specific dice rolls. Kind of makes me think of craps, personally, but ultimately it's a game of dice rolling and trying to get specific numbers and trying to hedge your bets between numbers so that you can get the best possible outcome for your city. The thing I like about Machikoro when talking about Yahtzee is the fact that you can build in a specific direction. You can build for a strategy. In Yahtzee, you can often try to build toward certain groups of numbers. You can roll and go, oh, well, I need my threes, I'll take the three. In Machikoro, you can go, well, I need very average numbers. I need sixes and sevens here. So you can take all of the properties that do that. And I think that the parallel works really well there. Next on our list, we have traditional card games. We're talking about Euchre, Hearts, Bridge, Rummy, Rook, all of these traditional games typically played with a deck of cards, sometimes pared down, sometimes expanded a little, but ultimately just a simple deck of card games. The big reason that we're talking about this is that a lot of people just sit around playing card games. And frankly, classic card games are kind of boring to me. But you know what isn't boring? Pairs. We went over it in our Getting Serious About Casual Games episode, and it is a great press-your-luck card game. Another card game that we also mentioned in our Getting Serious About Casual Games episode is Love Letter. Again, it's kind of a press-your-luck game. This one with kind of a bluffing, betting mechanic to it. And it's a very short play game. You play around and then you clear it out, which brings to mind classic trick-taking games where you're trying to just... Uh, get the cards by playing the highest card, Hearts and Euchre, for example. Finally on this list, though, we do think of larger, more expansive card games like Dominion and Legendary, both of which are deck-building games, which is kind of a new concept in gaming, and certainly not something that's been around for years and years. It's, it's more of a new idea, but it does have a lot of the same feel as these classic card games where you're hoping to get specific cards so that you can win a given round of the game. If you want to play pairs with someone new and don't want to actually go out and buy a pairs deck, you can make a pairs deck out of three? Yeah, three decks of cards because you're going to ultimately need ten tens and each deck is going to have four tens in it. You'll need ten tens, nine nines, eight eights. It's a very simple deck to actually build if you decide to do so. I suppose you can make a love letter deck out of a deck of cards, but that really loses a lot of the flavor behind it, though. Ultimately, in both cases, you're really better off buying the actual game. Not only do you get the beautiful art and the rule book with it, but the cards are going to be higher quality than regular playing cards that you could get at a comparable or lower price. Our next category is clue games or deduction games. Now, the most obvious analog we can think of is the game Alibi. What Alibi does is it takes the basic concept of Clue, that is trying to gather information from other players where everyone has an incomplete set of information, and it pairs away a lot of things that makes Clue bogged down, specifically the board and the dice. How many people have had 
that horrible, horrible experience of, wait, I've got it. I just have to get to that room. And you have to spend two, three, four rounds rolling the die, moving one or two spaces, and then have someone else swoop in and go, ah, I've solved it. I am clever. No, I had it three turns ago. I could have won. Another game that we think really fits this category is Mysterium. In Mysterium, you are trying to learn about the death from the ghost, and the ghost can only communicate in images. So, for each of the categories, who did it, where they did it, and what the weapon was, the ghost has to give cards to each player with a picture on them, and each of these players has to figure out from that picture what the ghost is trying to indicate to them. It's a very interesting concept, still has very much clue-type feel to it, but also adds a social aspect, and it's fully cooperative. Everybody wants to win the game, and that's wonderful. So we're always big on cooperative games here at Save vs. Rant, and it's nice to be able to play a game like Clue in a cooperative context. It's very cool, and it's also a very visually appealing game. The last game in this category that we wanted to mention is Spyfall, which kind of bridges the gap between Clue-like games with, with deduction and true social deduction games like Werewolf and Mafia and any of the variants on that sort of thing. And speaking of party games, we have the Trivial Pursuit, the Balderdash-type games. I've known a lot of high intellectual adults playing Trivial Pursuit going, oh, well, here's a, a little factoid I know, here's a thing I know. And it, it kind of goes to a party, but it, it gets boring after a while. Better party games, though, are apples to apples. Now, a lot of people tend to think that apples to apples as a precursor to Cards Against Humanity is kind of a strictly worse Cards Against Humanity. We here at Save vs. Rant don't agree. The thing about Cards Against Humanity is it is a game that is built exclusively to allow players to come up with socially shocking, disgusting, scatological, or otherwise offensive things that they can laugh at. And that can be a lot of fun, honestly. Apples to Apples, however, allows you to make an intellectual comparison, or make a very real comparison, or make a witty observation, or, yes, make a crude joke. Any of these can be accomplished by pairing the cards, but there's no initial assumption of which is going to occur on any given turn. Sometimes victory goes to the one who's just so spot on. Sometimes victory goes to the one who makes that crude joke. And sometimes victory goes to the one who comes up with a clever connection. Another game in this category is Dixit. I I'm sorry, Dixit, as we've settled on. This is apples to apples, but with pictures. It gives you the ability to be creative, to let your mind flow, and personally, I like not having to know all the cultural references. I mean, who is Rush Limbaugh? Does, do people even know who that is? I think he's a sports commentator? I don't remember. Point being, Dixit gives us a stunning visual experience as well as the ability to let our creativity flow, which is fantastic. Another game in this category that I'm very fond of is Sheriff of Nottingham, which is largely a bluffing game, and I think that it's an excellent one at that. It's sort of a version of Liar's Dice, but done with 
uh, goods that you are taking to the fair that the sheriff has the right to inspect. If the sheriff inspects goods that are completely legitimate, then he has to pay you a penalty for your trouble. If, however, he finds contraband among your goods, he gets to confiscate it. Um, ultimately, this creates a very interesting experience where there's sometimes some dickering while you offer the sheriff a bribe to let your package pass unchecked. It's an interesting game, and it has the same sort of social mechanic to it that makes these games enjoyable. Now, if the person you're inviting in really likes Balderdash, really likes those creative games, the Pictionaries, uh, you might want to check out Wise and Otherwise. This isn't really a thing that we uh, are highly recommending for this list, but if the person is specifically that type, filling out wonderful old age quotes might be right up their alley. Wiser Otherwise is played by choosing the beginning of a quote and then every other player has to build the end of the quote. These are shuffled, read, and players vote on which one they think is the true quote. Since the quotes are from foreign cultures, they are often nonsensical without the context of the culture in question and can result in rather humorous situations. The next on our list are Battleship or Mastermind style games. In these, each player conceals information, and the other players try to guess it. Battleship is actually a straightforward guessing game. That's all there is to it. Same with Mastermind. There's a setup, and then from there, the player just tries to deduce information based on simple feedback. Now, the eternal question of Battleship is, why don't the ships move? And the obvious answer is, because the game doesn't work that way. But... You know what game does have the ship move, and has the concealed information? Captain Sonar. John mentioned Captain Sonar in our Gen Con special, and since then he has picked up a copy of the game, and it is so cool. Captain Sonar is, for one thing, a real-time game, which gives it sort of an element of stress and excitement, a bit of anxiety to it, where you're trying not to be captured by this other sub who's going to be shooting at you, dropping mines, and otherwise trying to impede your progress. Everyone has concealed information and only gives out a limited amount of information to their opponent, but may be forced to reveal all the information in one unpleasant and accidental situation. This is an interesting game mechanic that allows for a lot of cool activity and interaction. If, however, the stress of a real-time game is too much for you, or if you can't get four people a team in order to play, there's the pared-down version, Sonar. Not Captain Sonar, but just Sonar, which is meant to be played with two teams of two players and is played on a turn-by-turn -turn basis. The next category we have is the Linear Track Game. When John and I were coming up with this, we were going, okay, well, what what really fits in this category? I mean, we have Trouble, we have Aggravation, we have Parcheesy, we have Sorry, and we were trying to figure out what games work here. And we realized that this is a game type that's mostly gone the way of the Dodo. No one really makes these type of games anymore. But what is appealing about these games? Not the linear track, not moving around a board. No, the thing that's appealing about these games is the opportunity to screw over other players. Everybody likes saying sorry to people playing sorry. Everybody likes giving people trouble with the Popomatic bubble. Everybody wants to be the guy who knocks the other person back to the beginning of the game. When we're talking about games where you're blocking players, there are a couple of really good examples. One of my favorites is Five Tribes. Five Tribes is something of a 2D version of Moncala, 
where you pick up a specific number of meeples from each spot and move them a number of spaces to pick up meeples on the terminating spot. This allows you to do something. In a lot of cases, that something is sniping a meeple from another player or taking over a spot on the board or otherwise conquering the board and blocking the other player. Largely, the game revolves around trying to make moves that give you the maximum benefit without allowing other players to benefit from it. That's an interesting mechanic. Now, if you like the linear track part of the game, it's more of really a racing game. And I think one of the best versions of this is Camel Up. In Camel Up, a group of camels are racing around a pyramid, which, now that I say it, sounds really racist, but we're just going to keep going with it. And as the camels are racing, you're placing bets on which camel you think is going to win. Now, this is a wonderful little game because... You are going back and forth with other people, making bets, placing wagers, trying to get other people to cover your bets, and sometimes the camels don't move because you're too busy bickering with one another. It's a wonderful little game that captures the essence of moving around a track without having all of the boring little tedious bits. Now, one more thing we'd like to mention in this category is if you're all about the betrayal aspect, Betrayal at the House on the Hill is the game for you. In Betrayal at the House on the Hill, one player is guaranteed to be the villain of the game who is going to be taking on all the other players, and you don't know who it is until the moment of the haunt reveal, which will happen typically about halfway through the game. In some cases, things will be disgustingly stacked in the Haunt Revealer's favor, and in some cases, they will be disgustingly stacked against the Haunt Revealer, depending on how the game played out. And this is okay, because it is largely a game about that moment of betrayal, about that moment of being able to take on the other players. And that is honestly the essence of games like Sorry, Parcheesi, Aggravation, and Trouble. Now, just a little aside here. If the person that you're inviting in likes more fantasy and less horror, there's a version of Betrayal at House on the Hill called Betrayal at Baldur's Gate. Same game, just with Dungeons and Dragons. The next category is really not even a category. It's Candyland, Shoots and Ladders, War. The, the games that are just predetermined for you, that are determined randomly, that there is no skill in. Yeah, these games are often things that really turn people off gaming. They're used as a diversion pastime for very small children at best, and at worst, they make people think that gaming is all about luck of the draw with no skill or input from the players. A big appeal of these games is the fact that they are a chance to just do a random thing, and that can be silly and fun sometimes. But honestly, there is a good example of this that we can use as something that would fit this bill without having all of those nasty drawbacks of just being purely random, and that is... Exploding Kittens. I've often called Exploding Kittens Russian Roulette with Cats, and it's, it is often luck of the draw. But there's interaction between you and the other players. There's interaction with the bad draws. It lets you actually play a game. And it can be a very tense, exciting experience under a very specific set of circumstances. I remember a specific time that there was only three cards left and two players, and I could either draw or skip. I chose to draw, and I didn't get the kitten. Incredible moment. Very exciting. And now my opponents are doomed. Just phenomenal. A plus. Oftentimes, the big drawback of those games is that it puts this preconceived notion on the person you're inviting in. And you really have to explain to them, no, gaming is so much different. But, 
what if they know what gaming is? What if they've played a bunch of really heavy board games and don't like board games because of it? What if they've played Risk, Axis and Allies, Diplomacy? What if they don't like board games because, oh, board games take too long? Risk, Diplomacy, and Axis and Allies are all very weighty games that can take a very long time to play. I personally think they're great games. And I, for one, can enjoy sitting down for those games and playing through them. The big problem with Risk, for example, is that it can drag on forever and it strongly rewards defensive play. There's not that much incentive for players in good positions to do anything but hunker down and try to weather their opponent's onslaughts. However, Risk has done a good job of trying to pare this down in a few Risk variants. One of them is Risk 2042. And one of the great things about Risk 2042, apart from the fact that you can conquer the moon, is that it only goes for four turns, which means that playing aggressively is strongly rewarded. There is never a good reason to hold back. So you mean you're being rewarded for taking a risk? Yeah, it's almost like the game is about risk. Another example of them doing this was the Lord of the Rings risk. The Lord of the Rings risk introduced heroes that made your armies more powerful without giving a substantially greater risk to that army making the attack, but furthermore introduced the concept of the one ring moving along a one ring track, which would eventually end the game regardless of what people did. The bad guys had an incentive to try to find the ring. The good guys had an incentive to go hard to protect the ring. The ring specifically moves along some of the most contested parts of the board, causing a constant back and forth between players and causing players on the edges of the board to want to push toward that middle instead of staying on their fringes and hunkering down. But what we're really talking about here, though, is new games. If people don't like Risk, but they like the concept of dudes on a board, what games can we give them? Well, my personal favorite, Blood Rage. In it, you're playing Vikings, gaining power of the Viking gods, conquering the different planes, eventually hurtling on toward Ragnarok. In it, you are playing as a tribe, trying to gain power, and it has all of the aspects of Risk without any of the long, dragged-on games. I've played games of Blood Rage that take two hours, and the entire time I felt like I was up against the gun, like I had no, like I had nowhere to go, and I had to keep pressing forward, keep advancing. It had such tension to it. I loved it. Another example of a game in this category would be Small World. Small World is also a territory-conquering game, It has a few advantages over Risk, in my opinion. One being that you have these combinations of an adjective and a type. So you might be bivouacking elves or berserker gnomes or something like that. Ultimately, each one of these confers some sort of benefit on you. The idea being, though, that your kingdoms are not going to last forever. Every kingdom goes into decline. This causes players to have a vested interest in trying to play as quickly as possible and putting their kingdoms into decline as soon as they can so that they can bring in a new, fresh kingdom with fresh power to reconquer the lands and to take more property from the other players. It also has a little bit of a press-your-luck dynamic if your final army is pushing on against a superior force, which can add a lot of interest to the game. Now, if you like the idea of risk but don't like necessarily playing against your friends, then Pandemic might be for you. Pandemic has 
a great mechanic where everyone has to try and work together while being spread across the globe, trying to defeat these horrible diseases that are about to overwhelm the world. Ultimately, one of the only problems with Pandemic is that it is vulnerable to quarterbacking, where one player dictates how to play the game to the other players. If you can get over this hurdle, and it's especially easy to do so if the players aren't especially familiar with the game, or if the players are especially familiar with the game, then Pandemic can be an excellent gaming experience and always comes highly recommended. So that was our list of classic board games and their modern counterparts. Now, there are a lot of games that we didn't include on this list. A number of classic board games that we didn't include are games like Scrabble and Chess, which are really more of intellectual pastimes than casual games. You aren't going to invite someone over to casually play Scrabble. However... There are a few variations on these that do merit a bit of mentioning. Onitama is a very fun chess variant in which you play as fighting monks trying to prove the dominance of their fighting school. It has chess-like movement to it, and it isn't a random game except for in the initial setup of the game. Having said that, it's a lot more casual than chess, and I don't imagine that there are huge Onitama tournaments worldwide where Onitama masters who have dedicated their lives to Onitama are going to be playing. The Duke is another one that adds a random mechanic of summoning random pieces whenever you need to add a piece to your army, thus giving you the element of improvisation where you have to plan things out but also be ready to improvise if you don't get exactly what you want. These are interesting variants on chess, but chess really isn't a family board game night type game, and it's really not a social game that you just play with some buddies over the weekend. Likewise, there's a number of new style board games that people that have never played board games before would have no clue about. We're talking about the legacy games. We're talking about your deck building games. We're talking about drafting games. We're talking about worker placement games. All of these are fairly new concepts, and people who are only familiar with the family game night style of games would have no clue what these type of games are. They are a good way of introducing people to what board games can be, but oftentimes you'll have to ease them into it with one of the other type of games on this list. Ultimately, one thing we want people to take away from this is that you should try something new. Whether you're an experienced gamer who has a lot of experience with both new style and old style games, step out of your comfort zone and give something new a try. That could be an interesting experience. If you're not a new gamer, or if you have friends who aren't new gamers, it can be simpler to ease them into the gaming experience if you're able to say, Did you like Battleship? I think we'll love Sonar. Did you like Sorry? I think you'll like Five Tribes. Do you like Candyland for some reason? Or even have nostalgia for Candyland? Let's play Exploding Kittens. All in all, the idea is to give people an analog, an idea of what they can relate these things back to from their own childhoods and experiences and from our cultural zeitgeist that's going to allow them to meld more firmly with the idea of what modern board gaming and tabletop gaming is. So that's another one in the can. Let's see, what's up next? Ooh, bad house rules. How many people have suffered under a DM having a bad house rule? How many people have played board games with house rules that just really don't make sense? <clears throat> Monopoly. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, anyway, this has been Save vs. Rant. Thank you very much for listening.
with the new day comes new strength and new thoughts. Eleanor Roosevelt. Save vs. Rant is a Tabletop Gamers Guild production. Your hosts are John and Jeremy, with music by Timmy Skittles. Save vs. Rant is recorded on dueling laptops in front of a silent and invisible studio audience. Visit us at saveversusrant.com or contact us on Facebook or Twitter at Save vs. Rant. We'd love to hear from you.